0: stuff they're doing for us. Hey, that's fun sound effects you guys have, by the way. I thought that was actually on the speaker, but it was you guys. You are talented. Hey, if you have your Bibles, open up to Jonah chapter 3. That's where we're going to be at. Jonah chapter 3. Is you're turning there... Uh, you know, we've we've talked, I was going to say all, all, all weekend long, it's crazy, it's only been a day and a half, right? We've been talking about who God is, we've been talking about us and our sin, we've, we've been talking about some things that He's in control. Tonight, I want to say it kind of at the beginning here, so it doesn't catch anyone off guard, tonight's a decision night we do at Hume. Tonight's one of those nights that we tell you the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, and at the end of chapel, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a decision for your life or your eternity to say, I believe these things and I believe on Jesus for my hope and salvation. I say that because I don't want emotion to trick you into it or anything like that. I want you to start thinking about what truth really is in light of what Jonah was supposed to do as he goes to Nineveh and tell them about who God is. I get that opportunity to do that tonight. And I say that because I want you to be prepared as we walk through tonight. Jonah chapter three is where we're at, and it says this. Again, Jonah was called by God to go and deliver this message to Nineveh, the backyard gnomes. He didn't want to, so he ran away. God, you know, who's sovereign and in control, uh, brings a storm, and his sin affected these sailors that, uh, you know, brought him into the ocean, and uh, Jonah wakes up, and he's like, this is my fault. In fact, uh, let me tell you about my God who controls everything, and they're like, what did you do? They throw them. He throws them overboard. God brings a a fish to rescue him, to save him. And then after Jonah has these moments of these days in the fish, thinking about just these amazing things that he prays out in chapter 2. It says at the bottom of chapter 2, the Lord uh, spoke to the fish and he vomited Jonah upon the dry land. And he says, go. And that's where we're at here in chapter 3. It says this. And the people of Nineveh believed God. These people don't believe in God. Because of simple conversations and things that Jonah said and God stirring their hearts. They believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth, the greatest of them to the least of them. Then the word reached the king of Nineveh, the one in charge. And look what he does because he understood who God was. He arose from his throne. He removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes, and and sat in ash. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by a decree of the king and all the nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth let's humble ourselves. Let's do nothing but understand a right view of God and a right view of us and our sin. And let's do that. Let no man or base beast be covered, or let them be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from violence in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger. Listen so that we may not perish when god saw what they did how they turned from their evil ways god relented from the disaster that he had said he would do and he did not do it would you pray with me as we begin god thank you for tonight thank you for your word and thank you for the good news the gospel we're thankful for what you've done for us I pray for tonight that you get a hold of hearts and you remind us of what truth is. It's in your name we pray. Amen. A couple of things in there that I think are pretty unbelievable is Jonah comes in. For whatever reason, he obeys the Lord, and he walks in, and I don't know if he comes in angry or upset right at the beginning and starts to proclaim the truth. The cool thing is that he just proclaims the truth, and God uses that. And it doesn't say right away, and it doesn't say a lot of time has passed. We don't know, but it almost seems when we read it that people hear it just like we saw here on stage. Right away, they hear the good news of who God is, and they actually do it right away. Because, friends, I'm telling you from experience, not just as a pastor, but as a follower of Jesus, when I get to share the good news with my friends of who Jesus is, joy comes over their life because they were once lost, and now there's actually hope. They're sitting here with a broken world and they understand that there's somebody who fixes things. And we see that in Nineveh. They said, No more. We we don't want any of this broken stuff anymore. Let's actually understand a right view of God and our need for Him, and they repent. We see the sailors in chapter 2, if you remember. They, they're crying, they're doing all that they can to, to save themselves, right? They're throwing things overboard. They're, hey, let's do certain things. You talk to your God. You talk to your God. You talk to your God. Let's try it. And the storm's still there, and the wrath is still coming. And they're doing all that they can. They wake up Jonah, and they're, like, what you, what's, what's the deal? He's like, it's my fault. Throw me overboard. They're like, no, there's got to be another way. They start trying to row back to shore. And then they finally come to the realization, we can't do it ourselves. We can't do it on our own. And they throw him overboard. They need him out of, they need him gone. They need a substitute because they don't want to die. We see God's salvation throughout this book, but something that caught my attention just a few hours ago, as I was just reading through this again. Take a look in the end of chapter three. The king says, listen, we all need a right view of God, and let's let's cry out to God and repent and and, and say, we listen, we we get it, we understand because of this. Who knows, in in verse 9, who knows? God may relent so that we don't perish. Who knows, friends, as I talk to friends of mine, that are trying to earn their way to heaven. A lot of times they answer the thing of, a, as we talk about heaven, as we talk about the Lord, they say this, oh, who knows? Who really knows if you're going to heaven? And I raise my hand and I say, I do. I'm so confident. They're like, but how, how do you know? How can you, how can you be so confident in your works? And I'm like, because it's not my works. It's Jesus's works. That's why I'm so confident. So you ask, who knows? I know. Because Jesus Himself says, "On the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me." And it almost—it's such a cool thing when you get to open that door for a conversation of them saying, "Tell me more about what you're talking about." And I take them to the very first page in my Bible. And in a room this size, I believe that there is people in here you haven't put your hope and faith in Jesus, and you're still to just kind of living life your own way. And maybe like Nineveh, you feel like people have given up on you or you don't know what you're doing and and you're just kind of living life and and, and other people's consequences and storms are kind of messing with your life. And you're just like, there's got to be more than this. You've never put your hope and faith in Jesus, so I would love to tell you the good news. And I believe that there's a lot of Christians out here that you know the gospel, you know the good news, and you come to a camp and you're like, oh, I've known, I've, I've heard this message, and you find yourself kind of nodding off. Oh, can I encourage you, don't nod off. It's called good news for a reason. This is the best news you can hear. Christians hearing a message like this should fire you up and remind you that you were once lost and broken, but God in his love and mercy redeemed you and restored you. That's great news, and may you get excited about it. And then the question I would have for you Christians out there, and we'll talk more about it tomorrow, do you know how to share your faith? If not, maybe these are things you start jotting down Because you have hope, and we need to share that hope. So the kingdom of Nineveh says, who knows? Maybe God will relent so that we don't perish. And in John 3.16, it's beautiful. It says, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. perish, but have everlasting life. And I would love to start with page one in the Bible, verse one. And it starts with this. In the beginning, God. Not you, not me. In the beginning, God, it starts with him because life is all about him, not about you. And when we get that thing backwards, life doesn't work very well because life was never meant to be about you. It's about him because in the beginning, him. And that next word is beautiful. It says, in the beginning, God created. What did he create? Everything. You look around here, the sky, those trees, the snow, all this stuff has been put into place by his breath. He spoke it and it happened. And we talked about that the other night, that he's eternal, that he's creator. He's so creative. And he creates what? Everything, including you and me. And spends time in chapter 2 of Genesis talking and explaining about what that looks like. And uh, and in chapter 3, it talks about him creating us. And I'm going to put that right there. He's creating human beings. He creates us on purpose, for a purpose. And it was a beautiful thing. And we read about it in Genesis chapter 3. And we talked about it. That he walked with his creation in the garden in the cool of the day. They interacted with God. They walked with him. They enjoyed him. And life was how it was meant to be. Us, attached to our life source. You see, God being eternal and creator, he's not just that. He's fully satisfying because life is all about him. Life, I should have made it bigger because he is our life. He is love. He is hope. He is all of those things. And he says, I create you to enjoy what life is truly supposed to be about. And it was good. Until chapter 3, they wanted something more. And we talked about that. That sin entered the world. And again, we could blame Adam and Eve, but we we do the same. We talked about it. Jonah does the same. And if we're honest, we do the same. What is sin? Sin is a a compromise of God's laws, of things that God says when we compromise it in in our words, our deeds, our, our attitudes, our thoughts, our actions. But who cares? What does it matter? Well, the problem is God's word also says there's some consequences, and we've been talking about some of those consequences, but Romans chapter 3, I think, and 6 really give us a better picture of what it is. Romans 3, and I think we might have some slides, maybe, maybe not. If we have it, great. If not, no problem here. It says this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. It shouldn't shock us, Maybe you didn't know what that word meant, but we've all gone against God in our thoughts, our words, our deeds, our attitudes. Just one time he says, love me more than anything. We don't, that's sin. It doesn't matter how big or small, sin is sin. And if we all are under the agreement that we've sinned against a holy God, because he is holy, he is set apart, he's creator, it's his world, not mine. If that's the case, we all would admit it once again, all right, so I've sinned, who cares? Well, the problem is Romans chapter 6 says this, 623, it says the wages of sin, the earnings of sin, you sin, your reward for sinning is death. Your consequences for sinning is death. And we think, all right, well, we're all going to die one day. Yes. And I get that. But friends, it's just so much worse than just that because in the garden everything was so perfect as we were walking with the Lord and everything was perfect, we enjoyed life with our life source. And the wages of sin is death, which means... We literally are. Look, we're enjoying life together. And Adam and Eve were created to enjoy a relationship together. That was good. This was good. Life was good as we're we're connected to our life source. And literally sin just cuts us away from our life source. That's it. Life literally, the wages of sin is death and we think, oh, it's not a big deal, we're going to die soon. No, no, no. It's worse than just a physical death, a spiritual separation from our life source. We want love. How do you get it? He is that. But sin has cut us off from love. Sin has cut us off from something so personal and something so satisfying and we try to we try to muster up satisfaction and love and 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 hope and all of these other things that aren't him and it's a cheap substitute for him who is love and who is hope and we talk about the wages of sin the consequences of sin it is broken relationships and you've you've felt that before that it wasn't ever meant to be broken. But now, not only is this relationship broken, the us is broken. Friendships, gossip, all that stuff destroys relationships and has awful consequences. And God hates sin. Because it has devastating consequences. The wages of sin is death. A spiritual separation and a physical Death. And the problem is, is if we die physically, apart from him spiritually, we stay that way for eternity. The wages of sin is death. Someone has to pay the price because he will not be in the presence of sin. He won't do it. He's too holy. He's too powerful. He's too perfect. And he says, you, you, you have to be perfect, and one sin breaks this relationship, and you think, well, that's, what, what's the big deal? One sin? That's not a big deal. Rebellion is a big deal to God. That's the problem. We don't take our sin seriously. We think it's not a big deal, but rebellion is a really big deal, and it cuts us off from our life source. and We can't work enough to fix it. But we can come to Hume Lake. And we can memorize Bible passages, and we can cheer, and we can sit in the chapel and try not to fall asleep, and that will fix it. It doesn't fix it. But I could go to church. I'm gonna have surround myself with good Christian friends, and that will fix this relationship of holy God, and it doesn't fix it. Because nothing fixes this because the wages of sin is death and a price has to be paid. And if you pay that price and die physically apart from him spiritually and you pay that price for sin, your sin, you are separated from him for eternity. Well, this is good news. Where's the good news? Well, the good news is coming. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, God showed his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. Someone has to pay the price. Because we can't fix this relationship ourselves. We can't do it. And if we die apart from Him spiritually, physically, we spend eternity in a a place called hell. It's a separation from Him. And I don't know about you, but I think about anything outside of this without love and hope and goodness and satisfying and faithfulness. That seems like hell to me. And God says, I don't want that for anyone. And a price has to be paid. And you can't do it. So me being fully just, I can't just forgive. A price has to be paid. Blood has to be shed. So God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him. The king of Nineveh, Nineveh is asking, maybe, maybe, well, how do we know? Maybe if we do this, maybe we won't perish. And John three sixteen says, he loved the world so much so that no one would perish So he sends his son, the only one that can actually make the difference. Jesus, being fully God and fully man. He comes down and he lives life. He doesn't just come to go to the cross. He shows us of what a perfect human looks like, one in full obedience to the Father. And he lives life and he he loves people well. He shows us what a life looks like, a full life, but then he goes to the cross. Because the wages of sin is death, and Jesus being fully God, fully man, is perfect. And he dies on the cross, and he pays for our sin. And everything gets restored through him. It says, Jesus says, we talked about it. I'm the only way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. The only way to the Father is through me. I'm it. I'm the only way back. God takes sin so seriously because it separates you and breaks apart relationships here, us, one another, but it also breaks the most important relationship, us with our life source. And he loved us so much that he paid that price. He came, he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross in our place. But here's the thing, he doesn't stay dead. On the third day he rises, conquering sin and death, showing that he alone has the power to make dead things live. And if we're apart from him, we are dead things, but Jesus makes us alive. Romans 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with your heart, one believes and is justified. And with your mouth, one confesses and is saved. Believing is an interesting thing. It's something that I can't do for any of you. You have to do it. You have to decide who is God and why should you care? Can't just show you a picture of a cross and say, here we go, da-da, and you're like, all right, that's it. It doesn't save you. Believing a right view of God like the king of Nineveh who understands what I am doing is not right. It is wrong. I, I, I take my crown off and I get off of my throne and I give that throne to the Lord and say, it is yours. My life is yours. Apart from you, what is life? I need you and I've, I've sinned against you. Even one sin and, and it's enough to, to break a relationship between you and me. And I need forgiveness. He's come into my life. Be my Lord. You believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is, and he did what he said he can do. And I think that there's a lot of people out here, you might know some of this stuff. You don't believe it. You're still believing in yourself, that you actually can do it on your own. He says, "There is no other way. I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. I am it. I'm the only way to the Father. It's through me. And you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart that I, ro- I rose from the dead, you'll be saved." Second Corinthians 5:14 uh, says this: "Our love. Of Christ controls us it compels us because we've concluded this that one died for all therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him for their sake died and was raised your life is no longer yours your life is all about him why because life wasn't supposed to be about you in the first place It's about Him. And as you recognize your need for Him, the reason why you need Him is you recognize that He is holy. He is fully satisfying. He is who He says He is. And He can do what He said He can do. That's the gospel. Is that He created us on purpose, for a purpose to enjoy Him. That's the first page of the Bible. And we broke that relationship, the first page of the Bible. And the rest of the Bible is him showing us how much he loves us so that no one would perish. What's scary is this idea that I feel like I've wrestled with over time. And I don't want it to be true, but I think that it is. The more I read my Bible, if given enough time, God will give you what you want. If you want none of him, no problem. He's already paid the price. The price has to be paid from, for sin from someone. And each one of us will stand before our creator. Every knee will bow and all tongues will confess he is Lord. And on that day, he's either going to say, okay, here we go, rich, stand on up. Do you, want, you wanted me and my son for, uh, for hope and salvation on this earth? Enjoy me and my son forever. Someone else, you wanted none of me or my son on earth? I'll grant you your wish. You get none of me and my son forever. Because I've already paid the price and I'm either going to look down and see somebody who has broken my law by sin and they're wanting to pay the price themselves. So I'm going to look at somebody who's righteous because not only did Jesus take our sin, he gave us his righteousness. And that's what I love about this cross even. That as God's looking down, he's not seeing us, he's seeing the cross covering us. That he takes our sin and gives us his righteousness and it is a beautiful thing. That is the good news and that is what life is about because he is life. So friends, as Jonah walks in and declares to the gnomes and the people of Nineveh, repent, understand a right view of who God is and your desperate need for him we have so much more hope than they did because we understand the bigger picture of who Jesus is and what he did for us. And so now I bring it to you. Those that have never put your hope and faith in Jesus, tonight I'm going to give you an opportunity for the first time to do that. In a moment, I'm going to have you stand up if you've never put your hope and faith in Jesus and tonight you say I need Jesus. I want want Jesus to pay that price for me. I don't want to pay it. I want to confess with my mouth that he is Lord and believe in my heart that he was raised from the dead. I want to say, I believe Jesus is who he says he is, and I want to believe that he can do what he says he can do. If you've never put your hope and faith in Jesus for the first time, and you want to, I'm going to in a moment invite you to stand up. Now, I don't do that for an emotional applause. I don't want us to applaud right now. I don't do that because we're at a camp and we're, you know, we just ate some soda and sugar and we're all jazzed up on something. We're like, yeah, I, mean, I, I guess I'll try Jesus tonight. And we, don't, we don't try Jesus. We either believe it or we don't. I have you stand up because you're surrounded for the most part by a lot of Christians in this room and a lot of people have been praying for some of you in this room. And Man, they'd be fired up to just watch you stand and give your life to the Lord. And you can't do this life alone. In fact, the Lord says throughout his Bible, you need one another. And you need to be surrounded with. Good people, and we stand boldly to say, Jesus, I don't care who's staring at me. This isn't about anyone else. This is about you and me. Me and my life source. And you're telling me there's a way back to some, this, this God that is personal and gives me life and love and hope. That's my creator that's so good, that's holy, that's satisfying, who's just, who's faithful and eternal? I have an a, amazing ability because of you. That relationship has been restored, yes. Let's make it about him. So, if you've never put your hope and faith in Jesus, and tonight you say, for the first time, I want to do it. I'm going to have you stand up on the count of three. We're not going to drag it out. If God's moving in your heart, you've never put your hope and trust in Jesus, but tonight you know you need to. Here we go. On the count of three. I'll have you stand up. One. One two, three. Just stand right up where you're at. Don't sit back down. You're good. I know you don't. Those introverts hate every second of this. It's not about the person standing next to you or sitting next to you. Those that have stood up, this doesn't mean all of a sudden life is easy. It doesn't. We're promised throughout Scripture that it's going to be hard, but we're not promised an easy life, but we are promised one that is full and satisfying and good and holy because we're connected to Him who is. You need one another, and you have questions. I'm sure you have questions. It's going to happen in a moment is um not yet. We're going to have you sit back down. Not yet. And we're going to have you hang out here for a little bit. We've got some youth pastors and counselors who would love to talk to you because I know you might have some questions. And they would just love to just come alongside you and answer some of those questions. If you're sitting down and you're thinking, man, I should I have stood up. It's way too late for you. You can never stand up again. I'm just kidding, right? <laughs> yeah, you can stand up stay back. Don't rush out of here. If you need to do some business with the Lord, stay back. Those that are standing, if you could do me a favor and just look around and try to get eyes with your counselor real quick. Counselors, just kind of give them a little quick nod. Say, I gotcha." I know that there's, uh, I know there's some people, you know what? If you've made eye contact with a counselor, why don't you have a seat real quick? Have a seat. I know there's some people in here. As you hear the gospel, your life is a Christian. You're starting to examine your life. And you're like, man, does my life really add up to the calling that I've been called? And maybe tonight as you continue to remember, man, my, my life has been reconnected because of the cross. Tonight maybe you're like, oh, I need to rededicate my life. You don't need to rededicate your life. Where is that in the Bible? What you need to do is just simply repent turn around. You're you're trying to distance this relationship, but he's already made the way back to him, so quit trying to distance it. Just simply turn around. That's what repenting means. Turn around and go back to him. And if you're in this room as you're a Christ follower, you're like, tonight, I just need to stay back and do some business with the Lord. Stay back. Do some business with the Lord. If you need to stay and make a first-time decision, stay and make first-time decision. For those that have stood, I'm so proud of you. Can we make some noise for those that stood up? Let's make some noise. Those that stood up, stay back. Your counselor's gonna walk through some things, and then you're gonna just do a quick little prayer that says, God, I I need you. I recognize I need you. I love you. Be my Lord. You'll do that in a minute. Let me pray for us. And when I say amen, here's what's gonna happen. Those that are wanting to roll out because your relationship with the Lord is good, then roll out. We got the snack shop open. Broom hockey's not starting for like half hour. You're not missing anything by staying in here. Can I encourage you though, Christians, that you're walking out this door, maybe don't just jump back into craziness. What if you took a moment and grabbed a couple of your friends and prayed for some of the people in this room? Maybe there's people that you see are walking out. Maybe you could pray for them. Those that are walking out, if you need a relationship with the Lord because you haven't put your hope and faith in him, come back in. Don't wait too long because we're just not promised tomorrow. I'm going to pray. I'm going to say amen. And those that want to stay, stay first-time decisions, stay. You want to stay and do business with the Lord, let's stay. Everybody else, when I say amen as quietly as possible, I'm going to have you pick up your stuff and walk out the doors after I say amen, because I want this time to just be quiet. So let's not make a lot of noise. Let's quietly walk out, and those that need to stay back, do some business with the Lord. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for making a way back to you. Lord, you've paid the price, the ultimate price. Someone had to pay it, and I couldn't, and you did. And with confidence, those that believe that don't have to wonder. Maybe you might relent. You already did because you have paid the price. Maybe walk out of this room, those that are Christ followers, rejoicing at that good news. May those that walk out of this room not knowing who you are, I pray they continue to ask questions. And those that stay back and do business with you, Lord, may you draw close because that is in your word that it is promised. You'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us and we will go with you. You are our life and we thank you for that. It is in your name we pray. Amen. As quietly